Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Today, I am so excited for our guest. She is the creator of the Vital Mind Reset Program and a holistic psychiatrist. She is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, A Mind of Your Own, Own Yourself, the children's book, A Time for Rain, which I love, and co-editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She abandoned allopathic medicine and psychotropic drugs for a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. Every time I read her newsletter or listen to her on a podcast, I just am so in awe of her authenticity and her integrity. She is a woman who has clearly done the work to face her shadows, and it's one of my biggest honors to be able to sit with her today. Please help me welcome Dr. Kelly Brogan to Untamed and Unashamed. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi. Yeah. Oh man. It's such an honor for me. You are my articulation goals, my pole dancing goals, my, my shadow work goals, all the things. So I'm so excited to dive in with you on, on all of this stuff. So if it's okay, I'd like to start with victim consciousness as the ultimate pathology and also maybe how we can recognize it in ourselves. Mm -mm -mm. So it's interesting because if you have followed my journey, um, I have, I'm on like rebirth number eight in the, in the last 10 years, <laughs> year cycle or something. And, and my interests have shifted. My beliefs have shifted. I mean, literally from the mundane, you know, I used to hate cats and think they were literally disgusting, greasy creatures. And I couldn't understand why anybody would allow one to inhabit their household. And mm -hmm. now I have two cats that are ask anyone in my life, literal deities in my home. Okay. So from the mundane all the way to, you know, my, foundational beliefs about, you know, what this incarnation is really about have mm -hmm. totally shifted. Um, and sometimes even polarity jumped, right? Like the cat thing, like from one extreme to the next, of course, my allopathic medicine to holistic medicine, I've like trying out different polarities, tried on my masculine, you know, energy for many, many years, um, working into my feminine and the through line, thankfully, to my at least public messaging, but certainly the work that I consistently am engaging in my in my own development is this reclamation concept, right? So like, what does that mean, right? Because I think especially on a bedrock of a lot of militant, angry bitch feminism, which I participated in for many years, it can, it can be like a, give me that back, you know, kind of energy. Um, however, I've come to understand buzzwords around individuation like sovereignty to mean something more like accessing okayness, authentic okayness, and maybe more, maybe pleasure, joy, um, but accessing at least okayness no matter what is happening. 
in your lifescape, right? So no matter what antics the, you know, government is up to, no matter what your, you know, partner is up to, no matter what your kids are up to, how can you always access, um, specifically for me, it's been approval of my lived experience and appreciation for aspects of my lived reality. And Mm -hmm. to me, this is the hardest work. It's the deepest work because it can sometimes, um, take the path of spiritual bypass, right? Where we don't want to go into the negative catacombs, um, quote unquote negative. And so we're just gonna live in the, everything is fine, nothing to see here, I'm fine. That phrase, when you're saying you're fine, it's it's an invitation, you know, to look at whether or not there are some, you know, uh, skeletons rustling around in your closet or whether or not there's something that you are, are really working hard to avoid feeling. Uh, And so this idea of reclamation really means to me, the, um, the loving recollection of the parts of yourself that you yourself have abandoned, betrayed, disavowed, and for very good reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, But how do we recollect these parts? How do we bring them back into the fold? How do we assemble, you know, all of the members on the bus and really take the wheel of our own car, really exercise that power of choice that is ultimately going to be um, the way that we we know the divine again, right? The way that we remember that we have this bigger connection because we always, always retain that power. And sometimes the power is, you know, the power of choice to leave a system, you know, a company, an organization, a relationship. It's the power to choose to leave something that you thought you might die without. And it may also just be the power to narrate differently, right? Like I'm in a practice these days with my girlfriends of going totally dark on our communications if I am not able to narrate from a place of personal empowerment, Mm. right? Like I spent many, many years just venting and of course, like needing them to take my side and needing them to see how horrible, you know, this and that was. And now I'm complete with that. and, And now I just want really to grow the field of a shared understanding that we we choose all of this. And that's where, you know, this concept um, that Carolyn Elliott introduced to my field of existential kink, this idea of like, maybe we don't just choose it. Maybe we actually get off on it. Maybe we actually really, really like the sensations, right? If I think of the sensation in my body of getting an email that I hate, it's kind of like the sensation in my body before I might go out on a date with mm-hmm. someone I think might be the one, right? It's it's like this rush and the tingling and like the intensive aliveness. We get not only addicted to it, um, but it becomes an erotic caress of that which we hate in our life. Uh, and, you know, so this this arc for me of understanding that it's all about reclaiming the elements of me so that I can be in my power and what my power looks like is not power over of course um it is it's a different kind of um, connection and persistent connectedness to the source of all power right and how can I inhabit that at all at all times um it's a practice it's a practice so you know the the order of operations that I I speak about publicly you know it really starts it's not linear but like it also kind of is, you know, archetypally, um, this individuation journey, in, in my experience, it starts with reclaiming that power of choice in the most basic ways of like, 
literally what are you where are you going to buy your food are you going to grow your food or buy it you know and if you buy laundry detergent you're going to buy this one or that one right so really getting conscious around your lifestyle choices to me not only has the benefit of reminding you that you have these choices um but also really stabilizing your physiology and hopefully, if you're doing this kind of ritualized reclamation process around your health, you're entering into a field of belief that is beginning to recondition your brain, your mind um, around possibilities and really draining out the fear of your body, of your symptoms and ending the war, you know, with your body. So a lot of that, like warfare, ending these little wars along the path, it's like, you know, first with your body, then maybe, you know, in your relationships and ultimately it's with yourself, right? Like ending the war within. I just, um, I just finished, uh, a week long water only largely silent, um, fast. Wow. And the first time I did something like that in my life. And, um, so interesting, right? Like when you're ready to actually do something that maybe even months before you would have been like, I, I could never do that. Yeah. Uh, and then just one day you're ready. And to know, recognize that yes, is a very essential part of this kind of path, right? So in doing that, I was able to see, it was probably the hardest thing I've done, I think. Yeah. And I've like birthed two babies in my living room and this was <laughs> harder. And why is because I, uh, I had to be with myself. Mm. And I've been running from myself, you know, for my whole life, you yeah. know, and how do I run from myself? Well, food, podcasts, books, you know, movies, talking. Oh, that's a huge one for me. Talking to people and being talked at by people, you know, like in intimate relationship, I maintain many, many intimate relationships with women in my life. And it's like a part-time job, you know, and that sounds wonderful. And it's also a way to to not be with my body, not be with the sensations in my body, not simply be present to myself. And so that felt like, for me, the ritual initiation to a life without controversy. And mm. I know that's weird, like, what does that have to do with water fasting? But for me, it was ending the war with myself, right? Stop talking yeah. for myself. And and I met a part of me, you know, in that in the, the first couple of days of that, which were excruciating, honestly, um, that really doesn't even want to like be here right? Like this part of me that it finds being in form intolerable. I would wager we all have this part and that this part and the pain unvisited of this part is what drives most addictions. Um, and I use the word addiction to mean anything that we are engaging to keep ourselves from feeling discomfort. You know, mm -hmm. so that's certainly not just alcohol and drugs, right? It's a whole lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a process and, and it's a spiral path for sure, but it has sort of this this um, through line of of turning towards that which you might otherwise run from so that you can meet the part of you that is holding this this next gem and it's usually behind like a shame wall right or a fear wall and uh and it becomes almost like an adventure i guess yeah who fasting for seven days i fast on tuesdays and just that one day a week i it's really freaking hard. And I can feel like my brain feels like it turns to putty at certain points where like my words start to blend together, you know, and I can't actually form sentences. So man, I can't, I can't imagine a week, but um, I, I think I've also been nervous because I've been, I felt called to do longer, but been nervous that it would affect my hormones or something. And I'd get thrown off 
you know, with an imbalance. Um, but I feel that too, when you're like called to it in a spiritual sense, and it's not some sort of intermittent fasting that like spirit holds you through that. So, right. And, and, and that's where and why, right. Like, cause I would have told patients the same thing, like even intermittent fasting, I would have said when I was practicing, you know, like that's a, a stress on your adrenals. And if you get, you know, hangry, it's a sign that you're recruiting catecholamines and that's not good for you. Right. All of that like health guru, wellness talk, books, programs, all of that has a very essential place. Because mm-hmm. when you align with somebody that you trust, that shares your values, they can help support you getting on the path. But the path is yours, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why this idea of like intuition and following these impulses, how do you know? How do you know what to do, right? What practices to engage? And that's where I've learned in my process, and I'm sure you can relate. It's like, Okay, so my friend Andy Kaufman told me about this fast. By the way, you do nothing during this fast. You literally lay on the couch with your eyes closed and sip water all damn day long. That's so it does not matter if your brain is putty because you're not doing anything. You're not working. You're not doing anything. Uh Okay. So when he first told me about this, I felt an immediate, yeah, you're gonna do that. And so it was a little uncharged nod, right? Like a little, yep. Mm-hmm. But then on top of it was a pile of multi-month pile of no. Yeah. Hell no. I, I was terrified to do it. I made it like I even probably subconsciously cooked up like a major legal mess for myself <laughs> in my divorce process, right on the on the edge of it, right? Like right on the eve of it, which is like the opposite of what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to like coast into it with all your affairs in order and whatever. Yeah. And I, I found every reason not to do it. So that resistance pile, when you recognize it, you just let it be, let it do its thing. And you just, that little nodding, like smiling, like, okay, but we're doing this um, is, is down there. And sometimes it's the opposite, right? Like sometimes you're invited to a family gathering and you just get this like, no. Yeah. But on top of it is like, oh, come on, like, Aunt Sally's going to be there and she always gets like really hurt when I don't show up. And what's the big deal? Like I can, it's fine. I have the time. Like I'll just show up for like a little bit. So you get this pile of yes on top. That's also, you know, self-betrayal. That's also, you know, misalignment with that, that very, very um, inspired place of action, right? Mm -hmm. Inspired action doesn't have a charge. It's just the next thing you know to do. And there is no convincing, there's no pros and cons column. And so getting, getting back in touch with that navigational system is kind of the whole point of getting well, right? Because when you're like bloated with brain fog and your hormones are jacked up and you're, you know, like the hair is falling out and you haven't pooped in two weeks or whatever, you're not going to know that yes from like gas, okay? Like you're not gonna be able to perceive it. And so that's why I'm a huge believer of like, get into a a physiologically stable place, which requires you send your nervous system this signal of safety, which comes from, of course, the choices you make with food and contemplative practice meditation, the time you go to sleep and, you know, decontaminating your home of toxicants and all that stuff. And it's mostly, how do you marinate in a different mindset? You know, mindset that says, you know what? We've been told a lot of lies. We've been living in a lot of mythology. There's been a lot of deception and it's time to wake up, right? How do you get into that mindset? Because you can 
taste how delicious it is to believe differently. And you can feel the disburdening of all of this pattern fear and all this control and vigilance and neuroses that we think, especially as women, we need to bring to our lifescape. I still work on this every single day. This belief like, if I don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not true. Okay. That is not true, but it's a learned, I would label it like a toxic masculine um, defensive approach to life. It's a learned, very effective means of engaging the unknown, of relating to uncertainty and of having a relationship even to incompletion. I know for me, it's not true for everyone and avoidance have almost the opposite um, sort of dynamic. But for me, you know, I have so little ability to tolerate that feeling of things being like unfinished yeah. in my life, it's, it's, that's why I get shit done. That's mm-hmm. literally why I'm successful and why I, you know, do life the way that I do. However, it's, it's a, it's a root of a lot of, um, I want to say unhappiness, but unfulfillment in my life, let's say, where you get all the things and somehow you still feel like you're living behind a pane of glass, right? And that's because I don't have a well-developed capacity to be present, literally, to what is. Being present to what is in my body would require that I have real intimacy with the feeling in my body of something being incomplete and not doing anything about it. I have no intimacy with that. You know why? Because I always make it get done. (laughs) So like, it's these simple, like the spiritual practice becomes really mundane at a certain point. It's just living life, but living life with presence to yourself, allegiance with yourself, and the courage to really examine why you're doing the things you're doing. I posted a meme yesterday about how the shadow lives in the unacknowledged intentions, right? So mm-hmm. how is it that we're trying to get something out of something that we are not even acknowledging we want, let alone that we are intending to get from this source indirectly, right? Because yeah. it's uh, the way we manipulate our realities because we don't know how to ask for what we want directly. We don't feel entitled to. We don't imagine it would come to us if we just make clear in every relationship and clear between us and, you know, God, what it is that we want and then let it happen. Like then just know that it's coming. It's on its way. It's, yeah. it's very difficult way of being, but I, I think it's the only path to, to true liberation. Yeah. And I, I related as well to the part about how you have had like eight reclamations because I feel like every couple, maybe even every year, I'm a completely different woman because every year I'm constantly in healing another form of trauma or diving into another course, you know, and, and two years ago, three years ago, I was extremely sexually repressed and now I'm working with women in sexuality, you know? So it's like every couple of years, there's this like new reclamation. And I know I've had a couple of intuitives say that, I've chosen to do four lifetimes worth of work in this one life, which also makes me relate to the rest of everything you just said, because I'm, I feel like I can't live any other way. I'm just constantly like, we're doing this next and then we're doing this. And then there's a peak of this trauma. So we're going to dive into that, you know? Um, But I, I wanted to also go back into the victim consciousness. You posted in victim consciousness. We are obsessively attached to exactly who we experience as the enemy and I've I've been trying to ever since um, 
hearing you speak on victim consciousness, recognize where I have that because I see where I attract perpetrators. Like even at the airport, I'll get yelled at by a stranger. You know, there's just like these random things will happen where I'm like, I must be holding victim consciousness, which is confusing for me because I feel that I'm so, I push that away so much that I'm like, I'm not the victim here. I take responsibility. Where do I need to do my work first before I leave? I look in all the nooks and crannies. So it's really confusing for me. And um, I'm, I'm just curious, like how we can figure out where we're playing victim or without like, I guess, bypassing ourselves, you know? And then I'm also curious when we recognize that in another, when we recognize victim consciousness in another, how we can steer clear of being the rescuer because I play that role a lot too. Mm -hmm. I love this topic. I, I love these questions. So I found that there's kind of an arc of expressing your no, right? Like expressing your boundary and really individuating, um, which is very essential, especially for those who find themselves in. So we're talking about the Karpman triangle, right? So there's the victim, um, there is the villain, and we'll talk about how that is a very important dynamic. But then they're the most um, really disruptive uh, element of the triangle, the one that propagates and perpetuates this consciousness, I think the most is the rescuer, because the rescuer wears a cloak of virtue and is here to save you from yourself, right? And is here to save you from the bad guy. I would argue that almost all, if not all activists are playing this role. And as somebody who has played that role for a decade, um, I am no better than any of them, certainly, right? But the insinuation, when I feel Feel that I know best when I feel I know that a child should not participate in the you know vaccine program in this country. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, who am I to know that? Oh no, now I'm I'm the authority on on like the certain path for every human. Mm -hmm. Okay. Second of all, the implication is that you know this individual or this parent or this child or this mother isn't guided and wouldn't be able to source their own connection to power without me, mm. right? So whenever as activists, we have information that we aren't simply sharing, but we are imposing um, and that we are actually becoming dogmatic about. And this is not to endorse like moral relativism or to go down that you know path. It's simply to understand how we are getting something out of that that is not being advertised, Yeah. right? And what we're getting out of it is our own sense of what is the hallmark of victim consciousness being right. Mm. I think that is the hallmark. And you will know that you're participating in it because you can occupy all, right? When you're the rescuer, you're the villain to somebody else, right? And you're, you're all playing the victim. So that's, you just kind of cycle around and there's no static roles. Um, however, I think the the hallmark is in this arc of no, right? So when you learn, how to say no. First of all, you're gonna live a lot of your life in appeasement. This is what we do because we've learned socially that if people like us, we get what we want, we get the love, right? So we're gonna to appease to minimize um, punishment. Really, that's why we appease, right? Yeah. So yeah, saying yes when we really mean no, right? Like that, that family gathering example I, I gave. But of course, it's very, very relevant in romantic relationships. I mean, most romantic relationships ride this appeasement strategy on both ends um, as a form of manipulation, really. 
So you're appeasing, appeasing, appeasing until when you get pissed, right? When you're angry, most of us learn how to say no then. But we don't know how to say no unless we're angry, right? So sometimes, and I, I taught a masterclass I called um, From Crazy to Creatrix, where I talked about like this dark feminine alchemy and how mm -hmm. I actually believe that there is a point of initiation for most women in relationship to the projected dominant father archetype where you have to stand up and say no, but like big, but like a big, like fuck no, if I can say that here, like a big no, okay? And that big no, you only would say if you weren't afraid of being punished any longer, you know that you wouldn't be, couldn't be, can't be, right? Um, unless you're colluding with the punishment. So you're not afraid of being punished and you recognize you don't actually mean anything from that source that you're so angry with, right? So that's the only time you would ever offer that, like hell no, it stops here enough, right? And again, whether that's to your doctor, to a system, or to your lover, right? That no, I have found can be an essential part of the alchemy of self-initiation. So then you get the angry no, but really what we're going for is the resolution of these controversial dynamics, these victim-based dynamics, which is found in my opinion, in being able to say no to something, set a boundary, walk away, without needing that something or someone to be bad or wrong. So whenever you need to judge as bad or wrong what it is that you are walking away from saying no thank you to saying this doesn't work for me you know whatever it is that you're recognizing is not a fit for your needs or the experience you're willing and available to have you have resolved your victim consciousness right and that's why sometimes when we just narrate our experience when you go to your girlfriends and you say, can you believe that he did this to me? This is so messed up. He's so wounded and toxic and blah, 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 blah. That's fine. I mean, do your thing, but have an understanding with your friends that you like that. Actually, that's why it's happening. Mm. Like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and you get to the point where you're like, you know what? I'm done there. He's doing him and his life. Mine is not being fulfilled here. So I'm going to go over there. And he doesn't need to be bad and wrong in your narration, in your eyes, in your experience. Then you are an adult right? who is living in connection and also individuation, like the two pillars of human dynamics. You're allowed to thank someone right, for how it is that they've served your growing awareness of self and walk away also. Yeah, right? it reminds me too you said that having is much harder than wanting and i've i really want to apply that to my career and to my romantic relationship so uh you you've uh, put on instagram that so many women want their conscious king but in reality we are terrified and i think on some level that must apply to me and um it, yeah, I want to apply it because you said there's always a way to have what you want unless you're driving fulfillment from the struggle of not having it. And so there's something I know there that I haven't figured out where I want that sacred union where I just feel like, uh, you know, met, like fully met is what I really crave, like being fully met. And then also I want my um, my career to 
I want to have, you know, eight clients a month. I want this podcast to have 10,000 downloads. Like I want, I, I want that to be where I'm giving my energy in life when it comes to my income, but both of those things are not happening. And there must be something like, I wonder if when it comes to my career, if it's like, uh, some, maybe there's like some secret laziness there that I know I'm going to have to show up for. And maybe in the relationship, it's like, I know if, if my partner were to level up to that, he's, I'm going to, there's going to re require some form of leveling up on my end. You know, there's something there that I'm, I, I must be missing, but yeah, I just, uh, wanted to open up conversation for that as well. Cause it made me think about it. I love this discussion. It's just all my favorite topics. Um, none of which were my favorite topics even a year ago. So, yeah. <laughs> right? so okay. So I, I left my, uh, my second marriage in, in November and right now we're in August and mm -hmm. I have been, um, volitionally celibate since that time. Wow. Um, I, feel that I have been readying myself for this partnership. Like I, I feel I literally incarnated to have a safe erotic dynamic yeah. with a man. That's like what I've been working towards in all of everything I've expressed. And simply to have this contrasted human experience of being in the warfare model big time, right? Like first I was in the allopathic warfare model against the experience of, of, humanity I mean like how else do you characterize psychiatry I mean that's kind of what it is yeah um and you know then I sort of went into the activist warfare model which is the same thing with a different outfit on mm -hmm. and you know then into this like this war of the sexes honestly and really coming to understand the deep fear that I have had that a man will kill me literally kill me um mm -hmm. or the my my expression of vital force and let alone my sexuality mm -hmm. and I required my last relationship for so many things, um, but specifically to really get into the those caverns um, and explore that and and find its origins, right? And and really bring it into the light. So if I've been working towards this and I'm not interested in like dating or what, you know, I'm I'm just why not when he appears. I will know, right? And that is a very vulnerable way to live, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the voices come in that say he doesn't exist, right? You'll never find this unicorn. You're man. fantasizing. Yeah. Yeah. You silly girl with your silly wants, right? And we are we are turned against our desire very early in life. Alexander Lowen is a psychiatrist who writes a lot about literal Oedipal triangles. I mean, they have a role in our social dynamics that is very real, um, especially in these like modular family homes where it's like just the two parents and the kid or two or whatever. We don't have that village raising us um, where we really come to understand our sexual impulses, which are not like, you know, rubbing my clitoris is literally like energetic life yeah. force that comes through me as a two, three, four, five-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, we are shamed about that. And it can look like, stop jumping on the couch or you always want everything when we go to the store or whatever. Or it could look like, of course, being like shamed for your body or the way you're choosing to dress as a teenager or whatever. Yeah. So we're turned against our own desire. We don't have a healthy trusting relationship, you know, with our own desire. But I'll give you a sort of um, an example of how it is that I had a little indication that I wasn't quite ready um, mm -hmm. for him to show up yet. 
still in the readying process and not like it's a meritocracy, like, oh, when I get the gold star of spirituality, like my man will show up. Like it's not, it's not like that either. It's just that if I don't want to be in dynamic with the kinds of men I have historically been attracted to, then I have to man myself. Right. And that does not mean like handle my shit. Like it actually means be radically present. Like I was saying about the water fest, be radically present to myself with approval, adoration, respect, and hold space from my experience with trust, right? So like a king, he looks out on the horizon, he knows where he's going. He's not worried. His total certainty that everything that he has already planned will come, right? He's not like neurotically like, oh, but did you do this? And double checking emails and like, <laughs> if that's not the vibe, right? So how can I almost like siring myself like how can I offer myself that experience of you know a trusting relationship to my own emotions a trusting relationship with my own body a trusting and consciously attentive relationship to all that comes through me knowing that it's meant to be yeah right so I had an experience with my um divorce attorney right and he is, he's like a man, man. He's a man. Okay. <laughs> he's just a man. I don't know how else to say it. Like he's got a lot of the qualities um, that I identify with a strong, healthy masculine, mm. like very um, super self-possessed, calm. Um, uh, you can feel them when they walk in a room. A hundred percent. Yeah. Directed, you know, just like on top, like big bird's eye view gaze. and. He has put me in my place over the, over the months of this process um, when I have gotten fresh <laughs> when I've gotten like bratty, which only happened once under major duress. Um, and he put me in my place and you know what? I liked it. Yeah. Liked it. And it felt good. It felt like, oh my God, there is finally a man in the room. Yeah. And you know, actually that was a part of like the early rumblings of my interest in BDSM and kink is like, how do we actually take this? what could be a warfare model and organize it into domains mm-hmm. that are totally consensual and mutually beneficial. Well, it turns out there's like a whole arena of erotic dynamic that already exists where people have been playing with this. And they're, from what I can tell, super fulfilled, have very matured relationships to their own desire and are having a lot of fun. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> recently I had an experience where I told him, here's what I want. Okay. And he registered that told me he heard me. And then he went about it in a way that I didn't like, not on the timetable I wanted, not with the steps I wanted. And that was how I could see, it was actually right before my past, where I had this opportunity to recognize that my job is to tell the masculine what, what it is that I want, right? Mm. Express that energy of desire through my body. And then let go of the damn wheel okay mm. i'm gonna like you know as esther hicks says like get in the motor of the car and start moving the gears like that's literally what we have learned to do and for good yeah. reason as women so if i trust that he's got me which he's told me a million times i've he literally write, writes i've got you okay if i trust that he's got me 
Little does he know, by the way, that we're in this like intimate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like providing a service. Okay, no, I'm kidding. So, um, so if I trust that he's got me, and I know he's actually the professional, I'm not an attorney. Okay, he's actually the professional. Then, however he gets me to the place that I want to be, that's up to him. Do you know how hard that was for me? Really hard. Not send the emails every day. Really, I want to update. Can I'm just checking in? Hey, did you do this? Just wondering if you actually did that. The more that I require on a nervous system level, that kind of behavioral neuroses to be expressed in dynamic with the masculine, the less ready I am for the kind of relationship. Mm. Uh, and I do this. Yeah. And I will attract time. men who want to be mothered. Yeah. Um, who have not done their mother wound work, right? And I don't know whether my attorney has or it doesn't matter. It's just energetic in this in this field where I could see the elements are here for me to surrender into trust, for me to surrender into the feminine comportment, right? The polarity of being served, my desires being served. Mm. And it requires that I don't be the one to dictate how it's done, manage and micromanage how it is being, you know, accomplished. Yeah. And I simply know it's going to happen, not in the way probably actually that I think it should. And odds are, you know, we're really good at what we do. Oh, this is like, so me. Yeah, we get, we're yeah. organized, we slay, okay? And bringing your boss bitch into dynamic is not really the vibe, okay? No, so- I need to bring, I need to switch gears. Like I need to put the <laughs> career one that I talked about into the, I need to switch them. But yeah, I, I relate to this so much with my current partnership. I, you know, I'm like, I really want you to join a men's group. And I like push for years. And then I'm like, he gets in one. I'm like, not this one though. I think- <laughs> I think this one, I think this one's better. And then, uh, you know, in our parenting, man, I had no clue how hard it would be to blend families. Like I, when I was a single mother looking for someone and I had my list out, like I just thought if they met that list, everything would fall together in our parenting. But me and my partner parent so differently. And I, um, you know, with my kids, I'm very, uh, health conscious is like I've learned so much from you and model my parenting after that and then also like minimal screens lots of morning sun all of the things and his is very different and I've noticed that I'm very controlling in that area and I like create the story of like well he's the older kid which sets an example for my two younger kids and also um I think there's something to I think I'm setting up an easier road for myself if he's more regulated with less screens or whatever it is. But then it's like, why do, why am I so controlling over this area of these people's lives, you know? So there's somewhat a rescuer there, probably somewhat victim consciousness as well, but it's everything that you're saying with your attorney. It's like a lack of trust that they'll, like you speak your name. I mean, first of all, I have been exactly where you are. It is so, so difficult. Yeah. And part of what's difficult is that, you know, when you are mothering someone else's children because you're a mother and you're a nurturer and that is your irrepressible impulse, um, you're in complicated karmic terrain, right? Ugh. Ugh. I didn't I've think been of there and it didn't work for me. Um, so what oh, I, I didn't think of the karma. That there's 
I want to be clear that I actually believe that part of what we do in this self-alliance, um, self-reclamation process is to listen to our inner child parts when they say, mm. this is not, I'm not saying this is your situation. I'm saying, talking about my own. When they say mm. no to this, like mm. literally, why are you doing this to me, Kelly? You know, like, no, this is a no. Okay. And that is how you will know when the conditions are set for your safety, because you're not meant to flower open in trust, surrender, and, you know, exquisite feminine energetic channeling in every environment, right? Mm -hmm. Under all conditions, mm -hmm. it's your responsibility to, first of all, recognize when the needs that you have for safety are met, mm -hmm. when they can't be met. And then when they're not meetable to provide yourself that stabilization and that inner experience of being with yourself until you can change the conditions, right? Until you can exit or, you know, otherwise modify things. So the conditions may not be set for your safe surrender and how you work towards setting those properly in dynamic, um, there, there are many means and methods, you know, like I'm a huge, you probably know David Data fan and I've studied his teachings for many, many years. And, you know, he will say, as long as two people are willing to work towards love, work with that. You know, you can do the work in so many different relationships. If one person is just simply unwilling, then you're out, right? So if the conditions are there to, to start to set and create the container, um, fantastic but it may not be there. And so if you shame yourself and blame yourself, why am I so neurotic and controlling? God, like I'm so like unhealed still. That's not, that's not really helpful either, right? Yeah. Because those parts are doing that for a very, very good reason. Mm -hmm. We do the, the crazy shit we do for very good reasons, for very valid reasons um, yeah. based on our thought narration, based on our emotional history, based on our tra trauma patterning patterning and it serves a purpose until it doesn't right until we either exit dynamics or we reform and engage in the transformation of dynamics so that those defenses are actually quieted and they recognize they can chill out and be given another role mm -hmm. right in, in yeah. our inner sort of like parts dynamic it's no secret that shame-free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well-being. And accessible, expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women-powered resource for game-changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops their products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, doctor-approved materials and smart design principles, and they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you 
satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's uh, spelt A-E-R. It's called air it's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation it creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris so you can go all the way right away guys i have like eight to ten orgasms almost every time i use it i use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice you will not be disappointed they're also sending me a bunch of their other products so i'll keep you updated but as of right now this one's my favorite and i highly recommend it Go to dameproducts.com and use code JADE today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. We brought up karma and parenting and I've, I've so much like you on this path of constant reclamation been feeling that um, my, my whole life I've always had this inner knowing that I'm here to heal like my own lineage and that I've had these... Um, psychic abilities and I've noticed those things in my son as well and so I've like somewhat been aware that they're here to have the spiritual experience where they break curses with me you know but then also after hearing you speak about it thought oh fuck these might be projections like this might be what you what you talked about as narcissistic extension so like there's like this you brought up karma and parenting and I feel like I I've there's like a thin line that I'm like walking here of, uh, I don't know, feeling like I'm here to guide them. Mm -hmm. And then also seeing that, like, I might have some narcissistic extension in there. So I don't know if there's anything you can speak to on that. Yeah. I had, I had the same, maybe you've heard me talk about, I had the same experience where I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, we're all like, because I have two daughters. Right. And we're all you know, break the cycle, you know, I'm like the first woman in my lineage who's ever like, damn, not ever, I don't know, of my known lineage, she's like danced, it's like literally a relationship to like the most basic form of feminine expression, right, Um, let alone like had, you know, this healthy relationship I haven't yet had, but I will, (laughs) I I like no one in my lineage, in my opinion, has, so there's just so many aspects of like embodied reclamation and, you know, conscious reclamation, and my girls and I are so we vibe together so well that I was like, oh, we're all here to do the thing. <laughs> when your children disagree with you, even about a little thing, right? So like, I like sauerkraut. My daughter doesn't like sauerkraut. Okay. How do you interact with that disagreement? Mm. Because for me, I'd be like, oh, but it's so good. Like, why don't you like it? Okay. Already in that little example, Mm -hmm. I am interfering with her individuation and setting up the same dynamics as if I were like some like super heavy handed, like smother mother or whatever, which I I am not according to me. Right. Um, We have a very libertarian household and the different way to interact with your children so that they are not narcissistic extensions is to visit with these differences oh you don't like it tell tell me what you don't like about it like what is it that is it like too sour or like too salty or like too crunchy or like tell me about it right i mean it's a stupid example but it starts with the small things how do you interact with those small differences and then it gets to the real big things right where you know your child wants to express like a major difference in worldview or a major difference in emotional response Mm -hmm. um 
And how can you leave your own terrain and visit with theirs? Mm. Right? You can only do that if you don't need them to agree with you, if you don't need them to fundamentally um, share and bolster your worldview for you to feel okay. Um, it's a very deep practice because of course, you know, especially when we have like radical beliefs, like we do, I mean, the idea of our children not sharing these beliefs is, I mean, it's existentially destabilizing. Yeah. Imagine, um, like that my children might have like conventional interests as far as like medicine go or whatever. I mean, so far, none of that has manifested, but it, who knows, right? Who knows? And how can I be so cool with what I believe? so in allegiance with myself that I don't need to recruit their support. They're not actually here to support me in that way. <laughs> right? They're not actually here to make me feel good. Yeah. And that means that when they do something I don't like, when they are something I don't like, when they're crying, when I don't want them to cry or whatever, how can I not only be cool with that, but actually be curious about it? Mm-hmm. Tell me more. That is the... Yeah practice and that is the hardest work and actually that's why the other day I sat down with them and I said listen um because we've done the blended family thing and I said listen I'm calling in partner and I'm not dating you know so I'm not bringing random dudes you know for you to hang out with I'm calling in this partner tell me any concerns you have anything Mm -hmm. you want me to know or anything that you want me to be aware of you know, as I enter into this new realm, whatever. And you better believe that a lot of the uh, things expressed were about like the habitation model, right? Like, are we going to do that again? Right? Because I don't know if he has kids or doesn't have kids or whatever. Um, but are we going to do that again? They don't want to do that again. Yeah. And the truth is like, I don't either. So exactly. that works out, right? Like, I like the kind of queen's quarters, king's quarters thing. And you know, maybe if he's got an extra wing in his mansion for me, that might work. But otherwise, like, we'll probably keep our separate days, you know. Mm-hmm. And so so that means that they probably already knew that that wasn't going to work for them the last trial. And I was not even available to hear that. Mm. I know what's best for us. I know what's supposed to happen. There's just a lot of humility. Um because a lot of times when we open up to our kids in that way, we're going to hear things that we, we don't know what to do with, we don't like, and that, that doesn't fit neatly into, you know, our plans. Um, and I have a relationship with my girls where they know that we only do what we want, each of us, like we do what mm-hmm. we want. So they know I don't show up on Thanksgiving. I don't do Thanksgiving. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I literally do not participate in holidays. And they also know that when I am there, it's because I want to be there. So when I planned a trip, you know, um, a couple hours north to see my girlfriend, I never get to see, and I was going to bring my girls along. We're going to have like a little adventure, but it was really a trip to see my girlfriend, you know, and what do they have to do with that? And my eldest the day before was like, mama, I really don't want to go. Historically, I would have been like, well, we're going, I made this entire plan. Like I got somebody to come stay with the animals Mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I canceled the trip. And so in the like Americana model, I'm spoiling my kids, right? I'm giving them too much control and where's the authority. And I'm the one who's supposed to be driving the ship. And that's just not the model I've taken because I grew up in that household and it created a lot of work for me to heal. Yeah. <laughs> so like this other model, you know what? She smoked out 
my divided will. And that's that speaks to something that you brought up earlier, which is, you know, how how do we know if why we don't have the thing is because we don't actually want it. Um, and that's where I really love, again, I'll reference Karen, Carolyn Elliott's work. She talks about the deepest fear inventory, and it's basically a divided will exercise where you free write. Um, hopefully I'm like summarizing it somewhat accurately, but where you free write based on a, a prompt, right? So let's say you want the man. Okay, so you write top of a page. I absolutely refuse to have a fulfilling, erotic, dynamic with a conscious king because I have a deep fear that I will, da, da, da. Mm. And then you just list that out, like free as It's It comes, it comes. And there's all sorts of reasons because I actually don't know how to surrender because I'm scared to, because what if I choose the wrong person and he leads me to the wrong place? Because what if I can do it better, but I let him do it. And then we end up- I'll just find more things wrong. Right? And and this applies to everything we want, the money, the house, the job. There are aspects of fear that are keeping us arrested and actually pretty fulfilled in our current kink, right? Like in our current- dynamic with reality as it is and you can smoke these out and once you do they lose their power right like there there were so many moments as I in the past couple of years started to like really take off in the sovereignty realm and started like exploring like legal emancipation stuff and you know lawfulness and setting up my finances in a certain way and whatever where I was like none of my girlfriends are coming with me like this sucks like I don't want to be the only free one you know, yeah. of course there were reasons I wasn't ready. You know, the, the reasons that we're not ready are because we're getting some, there's an upside. We're getting something out of the struggle, mm-hmm. the enslavement, the imprisonment, the, the sort of like old story about how things in life are just not going the way you want them to. We're getting something out of it. We're fulfilled by it actually. And she would go so far as to say, we, you know, we've eroticized. It's actually pleasurable. Yeah, we get off on it. So that you know, that's not for everyone. For me, that perspective was very liberating. Um, to to yeah. see, even on a body based level how I you know because again when I was in my fast it got after three days very quiet inside you know and I could barely handle it. I literally could barely handle it. I was crawling out of my skin for days on end because mm-hmm. that's how much like stability, peace, quiet is intolerable to me. I'm mm-hmm. literally addicted to wow. problems and flying into the future. If you took a ticker tape, you know, assessment of my thoughts at any given time, none of them are about the present. Mm. That's actually why I enjoy doing this a lot because I feel here, you know? Yeah. Um, and most of the time I'm flying into the future, fixing problems that I created for my own enjoyment. Yeah. And you brought up erotica. And um, I think that's everything you just said is with your experience with fasting is exactly my struggle right now. And I think it's one of the reasons why this year, it sounds like a weird craving, but there's this like world class flagger flogger that comes to town from time to time. And there's been this strong desire to he has a long waiting list, but to be flogged by him because they're like, there's some I, I feel that like a man who's like really what you described as your attorney 
flogging me will put me so much in my body, so much in the present moment. And so I know that that's where that sounds silly, but that deep craving to be flogged is coming from. Absolutely. I mean, I think that again, like I don't pretend to be any sort of like BDSM or kink expert. I'm just like a novice, very interested. And, um, and I think any sub would say that that's exactly where it comes from. It's, it's the conscious experience of that, which we have been railing against as women forever. Yeah. Which is oppression, suppression, violation, abuse. Yeah. How is it that you can actually be as the sub, the one who is in the power seat? I mean, the sub is the one who determines and directs all that is through, you know, the um, deep self-awareness around what is pleasurable and what is not and what her boundaries are, what are yes, it's not a way to shave, but what are yes and no. Ones. And, uh, and the Dom in many ways is in service mm-hmm. to that experience of embodiment, right? Because most people would say, yes, when you have impact play, you come immediately into your body and you enter into that even transcendent space mm-hmm. of th- that is only available, you know, as data says, you only find, you know, God through sex, like it is only available for yeah. through the body. It's not available through in the same way through meditation or whatever it is, you know, these sort of like escapist spiritual practice, not to diminish, you know, all, all spiritual practice as escapist, but it's kind of true. It's transhumanistic. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I have a lot of bad bitch qualities. Okay. I have a lot of power in my life. Like I, I know how to dom pretty well, right. Direct instruct be focused on assessing the terrain and, you know, organize people, including that, right? And my deep desire is to be, you know, in dynamic with someone I can fully submit to in reverence. And I don't know that I'll feel complete until I have that experience. And there are micro versions of that experience with myself, Mm -hmm. you know, that are probably a prerequisite to really attracting that in a healthy way. Oh, so good. Same. Thank you. Okay, so I think we have time for one more question before the lightning round. And I'll give you the option of either there was an audience question asking about depression. She says that it comes in waves. So she's curious, like, why would it hit sometimes and then other times she's fine? And then, um, like, what would the cause be for that? Or um, pole dancing and what that's done for you. And I'm mostly curious with the pole dancing. With your videos, you're in thigh high boots and a bra, and it's it's amazing. But I'm curious why so many in our culture think that this should be kept private and that we're actually feeding problems in America instead of actually seeing it as a reclamation. So whichever one you want to yeah briefly. Yeah, I can I can definitely touch on that briefly because I've been that woman. I have been that woman who's been like, um, put your cleavage away. What are you doing? Especially with, with like professionals or colleagues. I literally remember being on like rounds in the hospital in my white coat with like a female attending and feeling like she like was dressed inappropriately. Right. (laughs) And that's why if you don't like it, don't look. Mm. And if you don't like it and you look, and then you feel that you need to direct, instruct, admonish, or otherwise provide feedback, you're in your victim, right? Because why? Remember what I said, you need somebody to be wrong in order to walk away and say, this is not for me. Mm. And so you're in a kink dynamic 
you're in that erotic caress. You're in that obsession. There are many, many women obsessed with me right now who think they hate me. They're obsessed with me. They probably think about me more than like any lover I've ever had. Okay. <laughs> and, and so that's the nature of it, right? That's the nature of the victim entrapment is when you need somebody to be wrong. You need somebody to change in order for you to feel okay and say, this is not for me. I'm out. Mm. You're in that codependent dynamic. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, what I found is I've really come to this through my you know, public uh, process is that if as women, we can simply commit to one thing, which is to never ever provide unsolicited advice, guidance, or instruction to another woman, we will level up overnight. Mm. And I practice that with my daughters. I never, ever say, oh, your, your shorts are too short. We're going here. I never, I never give feedback that they don't consent to. And when I say feedback, I mean like negative feedback, right? Constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my daughter said to me the other day that this is the only house where she feels, because she's in multiple houses, you know, with my parents and my ex or whatever, where she feels free to simply like mm -hmm. express herself like through her dress. And it's not because sometimes we don't go out and I'm like, I can literally see her like butt crack. <laughs> no, it's not true. Uh, but you know, it's not like, cause that's like the style right now, right? It's yeah. like, yeah. And it's not that I don't have that reflex of like wanting to protect her from, you know, herself. And I'm committed with her, with all the women in my life to never providing constructive feedback or criticism that has not been requested mm -hmm. because if somebody wants your feedback, they'll ask. And if you really feel you need to provide it to organize society, who are you? Stop. Just, just stop. Okay. So if, if it's something essential, you can say, I'd love to provide you, you know, this, this feedback. Are you open to it? Right. Of course, social media is not conducive to that. And that's why it's like a victim space. It's like a hot mess of victim mm -hmm. consciousness for the most part, including by the way, the idealization, right? Because the women who are disgusted by what I am doing are the same as the women who think that I am doing something that they can't do mm. experientially, right? Cause there are like definitely pole dance moves that I physically am unable to do at this time. And I watch women with deep admiration. I'm like, Oh my God. I dancing is hard. Oh man. You have no idea. I just want to feel my body, like what they're doing. And I know it will take months and months and months of training. I'd actually just mean energetically, right? Like, if there is a woman who has idealized me to the extent that she doesn't think that she can access what I'm accessing, that is also victim consciousness. That's mm -hmm. also projecting, right? Mm -hmm. Even when it's celebrating me, it's the same thing, right? So it's the vilification and the idealization is just projecting your disavowed parts, your grandeur, and also your dirty slut, right? Like also your provocateur, like also the one who actually wants to try on those boots, because I dare you to try them on and see, tell me that they don't feel incredible. That's why women wear them. And you can say, oh, it's like patriarchal conditioning or whatever. And, you know, we went, I went to a thrift store with my daughters the other day and my 10 year old was trying on every single pair of high heels that there <laughs> were on the rack. Okay. And it's not because I have ever said high heels are, I don't wear high heels in life. Um, I've said they're sexy or they're attractive. No, like there is, something that socioculturally becomes available to us when we 
consciously and deliberately and intentionally engage in that which has been associated with our own denigration. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I find women are doing it for other women. Mm -hmm. The women, the dozens of women that I watch dance, you know, online pretty much every day um, are inspiring me, are freeing me. I mean, I was like literally in a pole dance class the other day and I, I happened to be wearing this like skirt with like super short, almost like, almost like, you know, G stringy kind of thing. Like, like literally my ass was like completely exposed and mm-hmm. probably 10 times in the class. I, I like had like a, like I looked around and I was like, is it okay? Is it okay that they can see? Is it okay? And I'm like, not like get naked in front of my girlfriends. Like I'm not like a prudish person. However, like there was something in me that wasn't sure it was safe. And every time where I was met with the energy of like their total radical approval of my body and my body's presence, it yeah. me, literally uh, every single yeah. time. And mm-hmm. so there is, this is not for everyone. And if it's not for you, go watch something else, go <laughs> something else. And if you can't, then you're in a kink right mm-hmm. in a king victim dynamic and that's cool we all do it you know we do it with the government when we think we know how things should be please do it this way but it's a child parent dynamic right it's yeah. warring against the projected part with a perceived authority right because of course you're empowering that which you judge outside of you in ways that would not be the case if you just occupied a neutral like oh not for me no thanks energy yeah. Yeah, that healing that you spoke of in the uh, with the G string and the pole class. I recently went to Layla Martin's um, nude tantric retreat, and Maybe. so I was like nude with women from ages twenty to seventy, and wow. you know we were pleasuring and dancing, and there were queefing wow. and <laughs> squirting and like all these things, yeah. and there was so much healing in the same way that you spoke of in that class. I'm curious just to close this off when it comes to things like people actually bullying others like racism or things like sex trafficking when it comes to activism in those spheres like do we just aim to try to help heal without uh become you know like how to i I wish there was an order of operations that includes deep shadow work and inner child work before you ever post your activist sign Mm. that being said activism warfare-based activism it plays a very specific role. And I'm not here to suggest that that role should not exist or that people should not do that. As somebody who did it for 10 years, um, that would be ridiculous if I would pretend that I know what should or shouldn't be. I don't know what people should do. I don't know how they should interact with the injustices of the world. I just know that for me, my activism and relationship to activism and righteous indignation specifically has completely transformed since I have had the courage to actually look at my own shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually fallen away in importance. Because in, us. in yeah. my lived experience, there's a lot of work here to do in my lived experience. Yeah. Right? And that could include, you know, I never wore a mask the entire pandemic, not once ever. And mm-hmm. so there were lots of little opportunities for me to figure out how to interact with those who wanted me to do something with my body that I was unavailable to do. Right. And so it's not to say like I float through life, like just conforming and whatever, like that will never be me. However, all of the controversy in my life seemed to somehow shift and melt away to the extent that now it's not even a part. I mean, yes, things have changed 
uh, whatever the scale is of this psyop, the long game, you know, now we're in a respite, right? Um, or at least here in Florida, we are. So you could just say attributed to that. However, I do think that if you are blaming, condemning, shaming, needing somebody, something outside of you to change in order for you to access connection to what is already in total perfection, mm. perfectly imperfect in your lifescape. If you cannot access profound appreciation for what is in your life, and I don't care how little you have, how much you have, this is not about material acquisitions, right? This is about being able to connect to the present in the energy that you think lives on the other side of activist triumph and victory. Mm -hmm. When we're in that if then living, oh, once we have this bill passed or once the government finally gives a shit or once like the deep state is obliterated and all the people are arrested, whatever, right? Then life will be great. You're like totally disordered, traumatized, fucked up self is going to be on the other side of that battle. Okay. And you're going to feel it's like Ram Dass said, wherever you go, there you are. You're yeah. going to be in that oasis of perfection and wonderful utopia. You have no idea what that even looks like. You don't even know what you want. <laughs> Most activists have no idea what they want. They just want the bad daddy and bad mommy to treat them nice. Mm. That's what it is. I'm sorry. That is literally what's going on. And mm. There is, there is work to be done to explore those projections mm -hmm. um, before you should be guiding anyone anywhere, mm. right? And if you just want to share your truth, please be my guest. We should all be sharing our truth, right? We all have uh, been, been deputized in that way, right? Um, that is quite a different thing than imagining that you know the direction that humanity is supposed to go in. Yeah. And imagining that you play a very instrumental part in that. Yeah. And beyond just the expression of your truth and sharing your energy and your acquired wisdom and whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is like a whole, I'll probably do a masterclass on this because I have a lot to yeah. say. But I've learned, you know, because it's a big, big, big topic. And, mm -hmm. and it's not to say like all activism should cease. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just know the energy from which I know being around activists, they're, they're really angry, often miserable, toxic people. Yeah. You're, yeah saving the world for us. No, thanks. Yes. Right. Like, please don't lead me to the promise line. You wouldn't know it if you woke up in it. <laughs> right? Like, it's, Yeah. It's a funny moment we're in of just trying to figure out how to relate to that, which is occurring that we don't like. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. not that we, you don't like it. You don't like it. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't like something you don't like, right? Mm -hmm. Not yeah. organically anyway. And so how, what does that relationship look like? That is everything. Yeah. I Thank you. Okay, so there's a few short questions I ask everyone to close off the show. It's just a quick lightning round. The first one is, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Everything you've ever felt makes total sense. Hmm. The most healing thing to hear for so many of us. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Wow. <laughs> it's hard. I know. It's so hard and it probably changes, um, huh. changes all the time for me. Um, oh my goodness. How about existential king? 
Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. And then if we, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? It's all going according to plan. <laughs> and then before I let you go, where can people find you online? Where can they access your courses and follow you on social media? So I've been in a, a huge like rebirth process with my offerings and um, the best place, especially now that my Telegram channel is being um, algorithmically drained. Um, the best and pretty much only place to reliably um, access me is my website, kellygroganmd.com, and then my newsletter, because that's the only apparently reliable way for me to communicate with y'all about what I'm offering. What I'm up to. Yeah. Yeah. I love your newsletter. Thank you so much. Uh yeah, I think last time I interviewed you, even if you searched for your website, it wouldn't show up. Yeah, so I'm so glad that it's showing up now. And I'm so thankful for your work. It's, I mean, whew, just just this one hour long episode felt like somewhat of a course because it gave me so much homework. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all the work that you've done and that you're putting out into the world. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. Wow, you guys. I can feel that this conversation may have pushed some buttons and some edges, um, but there's medicine in that. So just lean in and uh, you didn't have to agree with everything, but it's still, again, medicine. And I also, you know, there is something that she said the other day about rest that I really liked, and it was, Whatever is best for me in this moment is best for the world. And, you know, some people might hear that and think it sounds selfish, but I think it can really, uh, it can be the opposite. Whatever is best for me in this moment is best for the world. Because we sometimes get so caught up in needing to do, do, do. And if we don't do it, then it's not going to get done when that's kind of a silly thought, you know, and and to just feel that if rest is what's best for us, that's what's best for the world in this moment. All right. If you'd like to support the podcast, I would love for you to share this episode or leave a review. If everyone that listened to this would leave a review, it would do wonders, you guys. And hit subscribe so you don't miss future shows. I'm really trying to grow the numbers here. And then you could also, as a way of supporting the show, you could support the sponsors. One is Gene Keys. I freaking love Richard Rudd. And my episode with him is by far one of my favorites. He's just the most loving soul. And if you go to his website using this link, anything that you do on there, I'll get a cut from. And uh, so that's a way to support me and the show. The link is in the show notes and in my Instagram bio, but I'll say it here. It's Gene Keys, G-E-N-E, genekeys.com slash the dash dream dash A-R-C forward slash R-E-F forward slash 17074 forward slash. You can just click on the show notes and just click on it. It'll be way easier. Uh, but anything that you do on there, uh, if you use that link, will support this show and he's got so many free resources on there but so many cool things the one that I'm currently in is the dream arc and you know it's really crazy I let my son sleep with me last night and we both had a dream that a snake bit us on the arm both of us a dream that a snake bit both of us on the right arm 
I just thought that was so crazy. And so the thing about the dream arc is it really talks about animal symbolism and what they mean and how to use animals to get answers to questions that you ask before going to sleep. So it's a really cool program. All right. The best toys for sex at dameproducts.com. Code Jade gets you 15% off. My favorite is the Air, A-E-R. And it creates pulses of air around the clitoris. And it's pretty amazing. I like to use it during sex and on my own. I like to pair it with my pleasure wand, my cervical wand, or my yoni egg when I do sex magic. I also teach women how to use pleasure wands and yoni eggs, and that's something that you could book a session with me on. Uh, There's so much magic in it, y'all. So code JADE for a discount on any of the wands or yoni eggs at wands.com, W-A-A-N-D-S.com. And then... All things infrared at higher dose. That's uh, code Jade75 for $75 off. And I really love that company and the woman who created it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here.